Bible. This is not something that we often hear anymore from the pulpit. In fact, oftentimes we hear uh, churches saying, well, we're not going to, all we're going to do is we are going to, uh, to just stick to the gospel and these kind of things, the Bible, when it doesn't speak to politics and moral issues, which makes it very hard then not to speak to politics. We're not going to speak to these kind of, uh, these kind of issues. And so we have given up uh, large chunks of the scripture, the, the Bible, to the media, to secular people who have no interest in the Bible or interest in morality. Uh, churches are afraid to speak about these things because perhaps their tax-exempt status will be taken. The question is, who's going to speak to these issues that are not just some kind of neutral issues that are floating out there, but are extremely relevant to the culture, to us as a church, and to us as the people of God? We have been called as Christians to influence our culture. We have been called as Christians to influence politics. The idea is that we, we influence it, that we don't stand back and go, well, that's none of my business. Those kind of issues are for the government over there, and the church needs to be over here. No, the government should not be running the church. The church should be influencing the government. And that's the way that it's been since uh, the beginning of this country, and yet it's been turned on its head. So now what we're told is no religion, no scripture, no Bible teaching should enter the sphere of the government. Pastors need to keep their mouths shut. Churches need to keep their mouths shut. And we need to buy whatever we are being told by socialists, by progressives, by Darwinists, by those who have no interest in the things of God. The scripture is absolutely clear. In fact, Jesus Christ is the one who taught us to influence our culture when he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says this, you are the salt of the earth. That is, you are to bring flavor to this earth, but you are also to be a preservative. Salt was a preservative. Christians have a preserving moral influence in our culture. So the more that we say, the better. We are the ones who keep this culture in balance, and we are the ones who keep this culture accountable. And it's for us to speak. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You, he goes on to say, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. All a person needs to do is begin to look at the Bible and see how all sorts of different figures throughout biblical history influenced politics. How about Moses speaking to politics 
How about a lady named Esther, raised up for such a time as this? How about Daniel, intimately involved in politics and speaking what was right to power? Person over person after person speaks to the government and speaks with authority. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stood in a fiery furnace. Then you get over to the New Testament, and it's equally clear. If you go with me to Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, verse 19, uh, speaking about John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 3, verse 19 says, But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, who's the him there, that is John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother's wife, so John the Baptist had stuck his nose into politics and had corrected the scoundrel and had said that he should not have taken Herodias to be his wife, his brother's wife, but he doesn't stop there. In fact, John the Baptist Uh, goes on to rebuke him, verse 19, and for all the evil things that he had done. So it wasn't just for one thing or just a couple of things, but John the Baptist was reproving him as a political figure for all of the wrong things that he had done. So we as Christians have a biblical standard and biblical precedent to speak into the issues of our day. In fact, we have a biblical mandate to do so. Now, we must filter our convictions. So this doesn't mean we say any candidate is the same and they, 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 whoever you feel like voting for, it doesn't, doesn't make any uh, bit of difference. You just kind of watch TV and you say, well, I kind of like that person or I kind of don't like that person. No, no. We filter our convictions through the word of God. We look at the things that the people are saying, the different politicians. We listen carefully. We are informed. Every Christian who is old enough to, in this nation, should be voting. And we shouldn't just be voting based upon, well, I heard it, a commercial that said this, so I think I'm going to go in and, and vote based upon that. But we should be well informed. We should understand the different platforms of the different parties. We should understand what the different candidates stand for and then filter those things through the word of God and try to make a well-informed decision. So we look at the things that the Bible speaks about, major things, influential things. We think about them deeply. We read We discuss these things with other Christians. We should be talking. We should be having robust, free speech debate in this church. It shouldn't degenerate to the level of fighting and being nasty to one another. But the last thing, listen, the last thing that we should be doing is being silent. So we're able to interact with each other. As we're all trying to filter as believers, we love each other and we're trying to filter these things through, through the word of God. And at the end of all of that, some of us may have different convictions. 
fact, we probably won't all think exactly the same on this candidate or that candidate, and that's a good thing. Woe unto us as a church if we say everybody should be voting for this person. You want to talk about just totally killing a church and killing people's spirits. What we should be doing is preaching biblical precepts in the Bible, allowing people to weigh those things with their consciences, fully informed, trying to struggle through these different things. And boy, do we live in a time that is a mess. Amen? It's a mess out there. So not that we just go in and we go, well, I'm going to just vote for whoever. I'm just going to go in and used to be pull the lever. Now it's tap the, tap the screen. But we must filter these things through the word of God. So the question to you is, none of you just heard something, but have you tried your best to listen to the different positions? And have you tried to bring them to the word of God and submit your conscience to the word of God and then be informed by the Bible and then make your decision? There's a, there's a sense with, um, within some churches and some different places that free speech is uh, diminished and even killed. So people feel uneasy talking about these things because they, they feel like, well, I've got to go in this direction. No, the only direction we need to be going toward is the scripture. And as long as our conscience is clear, and as long as we are coming to these convictions because they're deeply held convictions, then we should allow freedom within the church for people to say, well, I think this, and I bring this to the table. And another Christian says, well, I bring this to the, to the discussion. And we're actually able to have a meaningful discussion where perhaps some of us will be persuaded a certain way, perhaps none of us will be persuaded. But at the end, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. At the end, the aim is to go to the scripture. The aim is to submit to the Bible and see what it says and come underneath its authority. Let me just say this. There have been many Christians down through the centuries who have influenced the government for, for beneficial reasons. And the prayer is in this church that God would raise up people in this church. We need, I had someone tell me, I'm actually thinking, he said, about getting into law simply so I can influence things because we're going to need Christian lawyers. We need people in this church to be raised up to stand for certain issues with a clear voice that's unashamed and with deep conviction in their voice saying, this is where we stand. This is what God says about this issue and we're not moving. We need people in every sphere of life getting involved and influencing the culture and influencing the government. May the Lord raise up little ones in this church who do mighty things for God. And as we've said recently, mighty things for God is not simply becoming a pastor or a missionary. People have influenced the culture in all sorts of different ways. Wayne Grudem, uh, who relies heavily on Alvin Schmidt, he points out how, and I'm, this is rather lengthy, but I want to read this uh, so that we get a, a clear picture of what is going on. He points out how the spread of Christianity and Christian influence on government was primarily responsible 
for the outlawing of infanticide, child abandonment, and abortion in the Roman Empire. That's A.D. 374. It was Christians who got this stuff outlawed. Christians were going around going, wait a second, there's a, there's a baby that's been left in the trash heap. That baby has been neglected, and it was Christians that would go and would scoop up babies and would take care of them, and we get laws passed that eventually this horrific act of uh, infanticide and abortion was finally outlawed. That was Christian influence. It was Christians who were influential in outlawing the brutal battles to death in which thousands of gladiators had died. It's Christians who got that outlawed. Hey, here's a great sport. Let's go in and kill each other. Let's fight until we kill each other. Isn't that a wonderful sport? Christians said, wait a second. That's, that's not how we're to treat each other. This, we, we, don't, we don't engage in blood sport where people go in and beat each other to a pulp to the point of where they die. Have you noticed how bloodthirsty our culture has become? Who's going to stand up and say, this is wrong. We're, we're, not, we're not supposed to be given to violence. We're not supposed to be killing each other. Outlawing the cruel uh, punishment of branding the faces of criminals. It was Christians who got rid of that. Branding the faces of criminals. Instituting prison reforms, such as the segregating of male and female prisoners. Stopping the practice of human sacrifices among the Irish, the Prussians, the Lithuanians, as well as many other nations. Outlawing pedophilia, the granting of property rights. The outlawing of pedophilia, the granting of property rights. Who was it who stood for these different things? It was Christians who stood for them. And the protections to women, banning polygamy, which is still practiced in some Muslim nations today, prohibiting the burning alive of widows in India in 1829. Who got rid of that? Who was, who was the influential group who got rid of burning widows? What a practice that is. How about this one? The outlawing of the painful and crippling practice of binding young women's feet in China in 1912. If you remember, and we've studied this in history, the binding of little girls' feet. What a cruel practice. Who got rid of that? It was the influence of Christians. Persuading government officials to begin a system of public schools in Germany in the 16th century. During the history of the church, uh, Christians have had a decisive influence in opposing and often abolishing slavery in the Roman Empire. Listen, we've, got, um, we've gotten some things wrong in our nation and there have been people who said, well, we, we shouldn't listen to any of our founding fathers. After all, they were just a bunch of little white men who were into slavery. Listen, a lot of the things that they taught and a lot of the things that they said were absolutely good and absolutely true. And we should be tired of this constant degradation of our society and of the founding of our nation. And at the same time, we look back and say, we got some things really wrong. We got it wrong with slavery. That was wrong. But here's the thing. There were people even during that day who were standing up saying, this is despicable. This is wrong. Don't believe the story that just says everyone loves slavery. That was what everyone thought. And all pastors were into it. And that's, that's the way our nation was. No, it wasn't. That's wrong. That's incorrect. 
In the United States, though there were vocal defenders of slavery among Christians in the South, they were vastly outnumbered by the many Christians who were ardent abolitionists. So most Christians were saying, let's get rid of slavery. It was not the majority that was saying, let's keep it. They were speaking, writing, and agitating constantly for the abolition of slavery in the United States. Schmidt notes that two-thirds of the American abolitionists in the mid-1830s were Christian clergymen. And he gives numerous examples of strong Christian commitment of several of the most influential of the anti-slavery crusaders, including Elijah Lovejoy, Lyman Beecher, Edwin Beecher, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Charles Finney, Charles T. Torrey, Theodore Weld, William Lloyd Garrison, and others too many to mention. The American Civil Rights Movement that resulted in the outlawing of racial segregation and discrimination was led by Martin Luther King Jr. Guess who he was? He was a preacher. He was a preacher. And so over and over and over again in the history, not only of our country, but in the history of the world, it was preachers and it was churches standing up and saying, listen, we're going to speak to these issues. We're not going to be silent and we're not going to stand by. And even though we might have some disagreements in the church, especially in this election, we're going to stand strong on what the Bible teaches. Now, there's three things I want to speak about this morning, three different categories of things that we need to speak to. The first one that the Bible speaks to is this issue of globalism. This idea that uh, we're all to just have uh, one world, open the borders, let anybody in. That's an act of love and that's an act of kindness and we want to be kind to everybody. Of course we want to be kind to everybody. Of course we want to be loving to all. But we're a nation. And we're a nation that is governed by different laws. Listen, many of us have come from families. I know many of my ancestors were immigrants who came over on a boat. The question is not uh, saying certain people cannot come in based upon the color of their skin or the nation in which they come from. The question is, do they come here in the right way and do they respect the sovereignty of this nation? It was God's idea to have nations. It was his idea. It wasn't man's idea to have nations. It was God's idea. I remember when I was um, a, a, a boy, and a lot of the Bible teaching that you would hear at that time, uh, decades ago, was the concern for a one-world government. You ever hear of any Bible teaching on the concern for a one-world government? And I I remember at the time they would talk about how there's coming a day and the days were even coming then when it would be this one world government and all the nations of the earth would be ruled under one council and it was this fearsome thing. It was this thing that showed that the end times were upon us. And now I don't hear any teaching on that anymore. It's interesting how we've come to the place now where 
it's almost as if we should expect a one world government where we should get rid of all borders and all nations. Maybe we should have just one general council that rules the world, everybody just kind of going along with the same ethic and the same kind of thinking. Even patriotism, love for country. You used to hear a lot about that in the church. Is we were to stand for our nation and to stand for the country in which we live. Listen, I love the United States of America. This nation that we were, many of us that we were born into, is a fantastic, wonderful nation. There's nothing wrong with patriotism or saying this is a wonderful country. Have we gotten things wrong? Absolutely. But has this country been blessed of God and used by God in a precious and a profound way for centuries now? Absolutely it has. I remember reading a book. This guy was saying, listen, do you sing patriotic songs in your church that might offend people? So somebody comes in and they hear, my country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. They say, well, this isn't my country, so they begin to get offended. How tragic is that? Listen, if I went over to Thailand, which I did recently, or to other nations, and they are playing some national anthem or some beautiful national song, I don't sit there and go, how dare they? I'm so offended. I can't believe I'm sitting here listening to this. No, no, I would join in. I'd understand that there's a love for country. There's a love for the nation. So we admit the things that we've gotten wrong, but we understand that it's God that has set up the different nations, that borders are a good thing, that trying to maintain civility and order in our country is right. Go with me in the Bible, please, to Job chapter 12. Job, uh, Job chapter 12. Job chapter 12, verse 23. Job chapter 12, verse 23 says this, he, that's speaking of God, he makes nations, he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. We should get nervous anytime we hear about the destruction of the nations and getting rid of national identity. Go with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And he made from one man That's Adam. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So he's the one who makes from one man all the nations. And uh, having determined allotted period in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and on and on. It says in the book of Revelation that every tribe and tongue and nation will stand before God. 
throne. So we appreciate, we appreciate different cultural distinctions and different cultural customs. But there's no, nothing wrong with standing up for our nation and for, for saying that we have a unique identity that, is, that should be defended. In fact, it's the government who has been set up by God who should be protecting us who should be rewarding the good and punishing the evil. If you look with me at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It's God who has set the governments up. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Here it is, for government, for he is God's servant, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. The government has been set up to protect us, to go to war at times, capital punishment, all within the sword here. He does not, the government does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we can love the world, and we can grieve for those who do not know Jesus Christ in other nations. But we thank God for the protection of this country so that we have been able to send tens of thousands of missionaries around the world. So we want a government that will protect us, that will enable us to live quiet and godly lives, good lives, that we might go about our business without being busybodies, that we might be safe. So whenever you hear this globalism, this idea of a world without borders, it's a dangerous idea, very dangerous. In fact, Micah chapter 4 verse 4 even talks about private property. We don't have time to go into all different things that go along with this, but if you go over to Micah chapter 4, Micah chapter 4, verse 4, But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. The the vision of God is people with private property. When the government comes in and starts taking more and more property, when we hear about a land without borders, we need to get more and more concerned because it's not just a secular political issue that's out there. It's a biblical issue that should make us nervous. So the more protection that we have... The, the better we can serve Christ and be faithful to the gospel. 
So we filter our conscience, we understand uh, our vote through the eyes and through the lens of globalism. Here's another one, through the lens of abortion. Abortion. Listen, abortion is the taking of a human life. It is the murder of a child. That's what abortion is. It's not just the taking of, well, there's just a lump of cells in the lady and all they go in and they do just a little little surgery and they remove this lump of cells. No, no. It is alive. It is a living person. Since 1973, in the, the passage of Roe versus Wade, 59 million babies have been aborted in our country. 59 million babies. We wonder where the workforce is. We're... We're killing them. Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, we hear the talk about Planned Parenthood all the time, and they're fighting for the rights of women. They are not fighting for the rights of women. They are destroying the rights of women, and they are destroying the lives of little girls. Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, she was an ardent racist. She was a bigot. She was against the weak and the infirmed in our society and believed that we needed to get rid of them. In fact, uh, speaking about black people, here's what she said on how to get abortion uh, accepted within the black community. She said this, we would hire three or four colored, nice word there, three or four colored ministers, preferably with social services background and with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach, he says, to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if ever it occurs to any of their more rebellious members. So this organization that we hear so much on TV, this wonderful organization called Plant Parenthood, listen, it was spawned in the very depths of hell. That's where it was spawned. And so this lady who's the, the founder of Planned Parenthood comes out and says, we need to exterminate the, the black people. We need to exterminate people that we think that are going to be uh, uh, mentally challenged, those who are going to be deformed, those who come out with a weaker genetic makeup. We need to make sure that they're aborted and that they are taken care of better. She says this about a woman's duty. She was an ultra-feminist. She says, the woman's duty is to look the whole world uh, in the face with a go-to-hell look in their eyes and speak and act in defiance of convention. Here's her vision for women. Here, if you're going to be a strong woman, you need to look the world in the eyes with a go-to-hell look. That's what she said. She said this, she said that the most merciful thing, a large, whether it's white or black, large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it. This is, um, this is for public consumption. Anybody that wants to do some research on this awful practice of killing our children, it's there for all to see. We need to find out, and we need to find out what candidates support abortion before we go in and vote for them. So if somebody says, well, I'm all for abortion, but I believe in a, a good economy and jobs for all and all this other stuff, we've got to go, whoa, 
wait a second. You, you just said you believe in the murder of the unborn. That's like a person saying, well, I've got a great economic policy. We're going to make sure everyone can go to college and we can do all these wonderful things. But I also believe in slavery. Everyone would say, wait a second. You can't vote for that person. So when we're going through our conscience, when we're looking at these different issues, when we're looking at globalism, when we're looking at abortion, we need to have our antenna up. We need to be studying these things out. We need to be informed as to what people are saying and supporting these different things. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Look with me at Psalm chapter 71. Psalm chapter 71. Psalm chapter 71, verses 5 and 6. Psalm chapter 71. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Praise is continually of you. Psalm chapter 139, if you just flip over. Psalm chapter. (coughs) Psalm chapter 139, verse 13. It says this. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written every one of them days that were formed for me when I was when as yet there was none of them. So we speak to this issue of abortion. We say it's wrong. And perhaps uh, the Lord is laying things on your heart already. You say, I'm gonna stand, I'm gonna stand for our nation stand for our nation. I'm going to be a patriot. The whole even thanks for our soldiers. You can see that being diminished. You even see that 40 years ago as our soldiers were coming back from Vietnam and spit on. Something is going on in our nation. It is not good. It is not righteous. It is not holy. So we have globalism. We have abortion. And the last thing that we are seeing more and more is this whole issue of racism. Racism. 
In our church, we love people of different colors. In fact, we thank God that in this church, in this body, he has brought people of different backgrounds, different colors. We have white and brown and black and all sorts of different ethnicities from all over the globe have entered into this church. And the truth is we don't get rid of racism by pandering to any specific group. That's not how we get rid of racism. Well, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up with the, the white program. Can you imagine that? We're going to see how many white people we can attract into the church, or we're going to see how many black people we can attract into the church, or how many brown-skinned people we can attract into the church. No, no, we don't have a program like that. That's not how we think in this church. That's not how we teach. That's not how we talk. The way that we fight racism in this church is by treating all people the same. See, if people come into this church and it's a black person and they know, hey, there's a quality here and I can speak into the lives of a white person and they will listen and if there are things that are right, even if they're corrective issues, they will listen and they will receive that as from a person who is equal to them. Or a white person says, I'm not going to fear, but I'm going to state my beliefs and my opinions to a black person. Listen, we do not get anywhere in this society, and we're not going to get anywhere in this church by not speaking our minds, by not treating all people the same. That's how you grow a church with all sorts of different colors. Where people come in, they go, wow, they're not just pandering to this one group, but they treat all people equally. So when people walk in the door, they go, wow, everybody is respected in this church. You can come in, you can be black, and they'll listen. You can be white, and they'll listen. You can be Mexican, and they will, they will listen. Listen, racism goes up both ways. There is... Uh, so much racism that we have seen and experienced in our country. We have seen a lot of white racism towards blacks. And it is tragic. I have worked with people, and perhaps you have as well, that they will say comments that are absolutely stunning about black people, shocking, should be immediately condemned. I've also heard black people say racist things about white people. And so when you come into this church, the the goal and the aim is not just to address every issue from the pulpit, but that everyone has the right to speak into each other's lives. Everybody is treated with equality and everybody is treated with fairness. Remember one of the saddest things I heard in in our church was um, a lady had a, a little girl, she was taking her into the local public library and the little girl had a a black parent and also a white parent and of course the person who was standing there in in this uh, public area as this lady was taking her grandchild into the library didn't know that but she looks at her and then looks at the little baby and says something and calls the baby a zebra 
talk about despicable? That's despicable. So is there racism in our nation? You better believe it. But we are not going to pander to certain groups, and we are not also going to support groups that are really fronts for socialism or any other ism like Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is a group, socialism.com says this, that showcases the general principles of diversity, globalism, and restorative justice. The whole idea of globalism, Black Lives Matter supports socialism and anarchy. These are not the things that the scripture supports. So at the same time, we say if there is racism in a police force, we say it needs to be taken care of. If there is racism towards a police force, it needs to be taken care of. The Bible actually lays out this principle, if you go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Timothy 5, verse 21, Paul is telling Timothy how to act. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, he says this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. So Paul says this, listen, when you have a church, Timothy, people are coming into your church, you don't treat a rich guy one way and a poor guy another way. In fact, James, our scripture in James tells us that very clearly. You don't treat a black person a certain way and a, an Asian person another way or a white person this way or a person of Hispanic origin another way. He says, this is, this is how you get rid of racism. This is how you get rid of all of these different awful practices. Do nothing from partiality. Don't show favoritism. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 says this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly understand that God shows no what? Shows no partiality. So God has saved people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Listen, not all black people think the same. That's racism. Not all white people think the same. Say, well, that group of white people, they all think the same. No, no. People are individuals. So we treat each other without partiality. Each person on his own merits, regardless of the color of his or her skin. The truth is there's only one race. That's the human race. And so we celebrate our differences. We don't all try to be the same. I've said to my children, I remember as a young boy, I remember when
a black neighborhood. Lived in the inner city for about five years in the inner city of Columbus. Some of my best friends were black and wonderful. And I remember my dad saying this, and I say this to my kids, one of the indicators of if you're racist or not is if your child would bring a person home of a different color, how would you respond? Now, thank the Lord, in many ways, we've gotten past that. Listen, all that we should care about is when our children come home is that they bring home someone who is godly, that they know Christ. Are there cultural issues that they may have to work out? Absolutely. But can they? Of course they can. And so the question is, do they love Jesus? Are they going after the things of Christ? That, that's the question. The question is, when people of different colors walk into this church, do they feel like they can become an equal part of what's going on here? That's the question. We need to lower, we need to lower the tone that we see so much of in our, in our media. I'm going to close by this uh, verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you go over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that uh, supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This, this is what we're after, a quiet, safe, a godly life that is pleasing close by just asking that we would pray. Our nation needs prayer. These elections, we need to pray. There are many other issues we could talk about, but if we just begin with these, these issues and take them home and think about them and then compare what do we see in God's word about these issues compared to how we're going to vote. That's, that's how we're informed. We're never mandated in scripture that we have to vote for somebody who's born again and has all the same values that we have. The truth is that's going to be very rare and the person we vote for may lose. But we've got to come to a place in our heart where we say this by my conscience is what I need to do. And every Christian should be fully persuaded in his or her own mind as to what that is. But one thing we know we can all do, and that is pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, our heart is... uh, heavy as we think about what's going on on in our nation and has been going on in our nation for so many years. And Lord, we want to be like these people that we read about that are change agents in our society. God, we could even talk about, and we've talked about it so many times, the fact that we have totally redefined marriage. We have 
we have looked you in the eye and have said we're not going to follow you, Lord, and how that grieves your heart. The redefinition of marriage. Lord, we need people to stand for marriage between a man and a woman. That's your plan. That was your plan from the beginning. Oh, Lord, there's so many of these issues that we could go into, and God, we just lift it all up to you, and we pray for those who are who are going to be elected, God, from the lowest levels in our municipalities to the highest office in the nation. Lord, we pray that you would put in people that we might be able to live a dignified and quiet life, godly in every way. That we might be able to raise our children according to the precepts of Scripture, that we would see the outlawing of abortion in our life. that we would see uh, racism end at the doors of this church. I pray that you would raise up leaders in this church of every color. God, I pray that you would raise up expositors in this church of every color. And Lord, we pray that you would bring peace uh, to our conversations, peace to our thinking pray over all the babies that are going to be born here soon, Lord, that you'd even help the mamas to get rest. We thank you for what you're doing here. Would you preserve and protect this church for Jesus Christ's glory, we pray. Amen.